once again, just to share a reflection about my wife and I, Amber. She's down in TBK this morning uh, serving. But, but we are, are really different in a lot of ways, and we're alike in a lot of ways, and that makes our life rich, and I'm grateful for it. One of the ways that we are really different is uh, the way in which we uh, engage surprises, the way in which we engage, like receiving presents or, or, or whatever is to come, a surprise to come. And if you give me the choice to know a surprise is coming or to know what gift I'm getting or to get my gift early, I am going to say, no, 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 no. I want the full experience. Part of the experience for me is the, I, I want like to wait longer. I want to fill the build. Give Amber given the choice every single time. She will say, yeah, I'll take it now. And it just doesn't compute. And I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And, and it's like she is the kid that would find the Christmas presents, unwrap them, see what she had, rewrap them, and then receive them on Christmas Day. She did that. So that's a little confession for her. I think it works that way. I get to confess for her. Um, but she does. So every single time, she will say yes. And it just blows my mind. But we're also alike in that we both really enjoy the payoff, because we both get the payoff. For me, I like the payoff when it's supposed to come. She likes the payoff that moment whenever it can. It's still satisfying. And so when we think about kind of Advent, it really is this kind of like desire for the payoff, because the word Advent itself is Latin for come or to come or coming. And so it, it really brings this season of anticipation, like, like we've already been just shown so beautifully this morning, that we are, that there is this expectant, come thou long expected Jesus. So we're entering into kind of really trying to identify with those that were awaiting the promised Messiah. That's why we come to the word and we see the, the, the kind of the anticipation building up to the payoff of Jesus coming. Because when we do that, we are reminded of the work accomplished for us already in Christ. And then we also, as Andy already said, we get to look forward to, to his return. So we have an already satisfied payoff, and we even have a greater payoff to come when, as Andy said, when all that is broken, all that is sad becomes untrue, when Jesus comes to set things fully right. And so that's why we do this. And so we, we, we are longing for the payoff. So with that being said, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll go through this. God, we love you. Um, God, I pray this morning, as I've already said, you would just help us, God. We need your help to kind of unbind our hearts and minds. God, we, we so, I mean, we, it's just so hard for us not to approach you in some controlled, sterile manner. Not to, it's so hard for us not to diminish your great power and glory, God. Part of it is because we can't handle it, <laughs> and it's terrifying to be in the presence of such glory and holiness. Part of it is just our, our imaginations are too limited. Part of it is that we, are, we, we grow dull by kind of the mundane of life. Part of it is we become beat down by just what comes at us. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, still our hearts and our minds. Lord, bring our lives into view Lord, and help us to see what you see. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as you created us. Help us to see, Lord, our everyday, Lord, as you see it, to see the opportunity of it, to see, Lord, that there is no need that is not met in you. There is no cry that will not be satisfied by the way you have worked in Christ. So, Lord, I surrender this time to you. 
Lord, take the words that pass through my lips. God, I pray that they honor you. I pray that they're from your truth, from your heart, and that they find their way and just penetrate and seed themselves in our hearts. Lord, that our lives would be a manifestation of your goodness and glory. Would be a manifestation of the reality of what you've done in Christ. So God, you are a wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah 9-6. We'll be there shortly, and then we're going to go to Psalm 124. Uh, you can follow along on the screens if you like. We'll have all of our tech stuff there. Uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, or if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go to more Click events, we'll pop up, you can follow along there. Uh, there's also Bibles near you. If you don't have a Bible at all, please, please take that. That's our gift to you. And I'm starting to say this now because we've had these for a while. Search around and find one that's not very beat up. Uh, and take that one, okay? Um, so we'll be in Isaiah 9-6, and then we're going to jump over to Psalm 124. But this Advent season, as we've already heard, we, we are looking through Isaiah 9-6 as we, in, in these promises of, of who Jesus is. So to quickly kind of make sure we're up to speed on what's happening in Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet to the people of Israel, specifically to Judah and Jerusalem. And we just spent the whole fall going through the minor prophets. And he, Isaiah is doing the exact same thing they were. God is using him to call his people to restoration through repentance. He's calling them out saying like, hey, you're my people. I've called you. I've, you are mine and I am yours. And through my blessing to you, you are meant to be a blessing to the whole earth. But you are denying this. You're turning to other gods. You're turning, you are denying justice. You're not, you're not showing mercy. And he's calling them to repentance. And as we saw all throughout the fall, in the same moment that God calls out the consequence or the judgment that is to come if they don't turn because he wants them to be restored, he also over and over again speaks these messages of hope and promise, reminding them that, like, yes, this is coming, and I'm only doing this because I want you to turn, but I am a promise maker and a promise keeper. And the day that that judgment comes is also the day that I keep my promise Right, And so we've seen that over and over, over again throughout the fall. Once again, we're seeing this in Isaiah. And what we come to in Isaiah 9-6 is one of these most beautiful moments where, where he is, God is speaking this hope and promise once again because God is trying to turn their hearts. And so what we see also is in Isaiah 9-6, God is speaking uh, this super promise. Right? It's not just like, hey, guess what? It's going to get good again. Guess what? You're going to get what you expected. He's saying in this Isaiah 9, 6, he's actually speaking beyond what they even know they want. He's speaking beyond what they even know to expect because what do they want? They want their earthly position restored. They want an earthly king to be in power so, so that they can be the people of comfort and privilege or just, or just kind of, that's kind of on the negative side, even on the positive side, just this, this kind of, this lower expectation of just kind of of occupying the place that they were promised. And what we see in Isaiah 9-6 is that there is an even greater promise because there is an even greater king. And so we're going to look at that. It's better than they deserve or could ever even know to want for. So let's read that. It says in Isaiah 9-6, it says, for to, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
So you read the first half of this, and you're like, okay, we're going to get our king. This is good. Sounds, sounds like, you know, the government's going to be on his shoulders. You know, he's, he's, gonna, he's a person. But then all of a sudden, it kind of blows past that. And we start getting these terms of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we start to see, like last week when Matt led us through wonderful counselor, this word wonderful is unknowable, unfathomable. Counselor is making known. And so we see immediately that this king is something different. It is one that is above what can be known. He is above just an earthly king and he's unknowable. But then we see God's desire for relationship coming that he also is the one who makes the unknowable known. So Isaiah 9.6 is speaking of the one who was greater than an earthly king in every way. His power, his intention for his people, his rule over not just this nation but all nations. Because guess what? He created it all. So Isaiah 9.6 is speaking to us about Jesus, the Messiah. So Isaiah is speaking of the payoff for the people of God that we all long for, they were longing for. And, and we know, I mean, this, I hope this perks our ears up because what we all know is that we all need, we all need a payoff. We all feel this. We feel this every day. We feel this, this kind of discord of this, like, gosh, there's something's got to give. Because in, in our honest moments, this, this life is a lot to take in. It's a lot to face. I mean, first is just this kind of big, transcendent, existential kind of question of like, why are we here? Why do we exist? How does this make sense? How is this made good? Like, we all have these big questions that we're trying to face that we kind of go through obliviously, not thinking about a lot. But when it does come on us, it's a big deal. And we wrestle with it, and we get off center, and we get, we get kind of knocked off balance. And we need to know, like, we have that big question. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? How does this make sense? How can it be good? And then there's the personal aspect of how we just, the things that we encounter, right, that, that we need the payoff. We need the resolve because we've, we battle loneliness. We battle fatigue. We battle insecurity. We've experienced relational hurt, job loss, illness, bankruptcy, the loss of a loved one. I mean, that's the short list. We need the payoff. So again, Last week we, we saw that as the Messiah comes, he is the wonderful counselor that makes the unknowable knowable, ushers us into relationship. Today we look at why we also need Jesus to be our mighty God and how the payoff comes from this, from us learning to rely on his power. So to do that, like I said, we're going to look at Psalm 124. We're going to read that in whole and then just give you some, some thoughts Pretty quickly from it. So Psalm 124, 1 through 8, this is the whole chapter. It says this. It says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. I don't know if you noticed, we sang this song earlier. It says, how great is our God. Then it says, sing with me. How great is our God. It's the same kind of moment here. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare's been broken, and we've escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So did you notice how it started? I just kind of gave it away, right? It says, 
It said, what did it say? It said, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, and then he says, and, and, and so he is this, this stark, like coming out of the gate strong. And if you don't know, this, this psalm is part of a section of the psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And it's these, these songs of great worship written by David. And so these are worship songs. These are songs acknowledging and lifting up who God is. And so this is this, this exuberant moment of just kind of recognizing, man, if it weren't for God, it would have gone south. It would have been horrible. So David comes out strong in this worship song, and he wants to get our attention. And I think about this. This took me back to when I was in college, and I studied, and some of you have heard this, I studied outdoor education with an emphasis of the therapeutic use of adventure. That was really my undergrad, outdoor education with an emphasis in the therapeutic use of adventure. And so part of what we would do, and I would I'll be working with either like at-risk youth or just groups that kind of had some, some growth to do together or just people that wanted to grow, and we would do that in groups. But one of the things we would do is we would put them in difficult situations. Really, we would put them in, in impossible situations for them to be able to tackle. And one of the most important things I needed to accomplish with, with these people is helping them see two things in these moments. The two things I needed them to see was first that they can't do it alone. Because you think about these environments, just anyone. Yes, we were working with like at-risk youth and things like that. But anyone comes into this, everyone has experienced like hurt in their life. Everyone has been kind of had this little, either, either they've had like a very specific wounding or just the trickle over time that tells us we can't trust others. We can't depend on others. And so we end up kind of in this place of feeling like that we have to do this alone. And so these people come into this and in a very tangible way. We put them in situations where they cannot do it alone. Literally, like if there's a 12-foot wall in front of you with no holds on it and you're told you have to get over the wall, and I don't think, I mean, maybe a 6'9 Michael Jordan in his heyday could jump up there and grab it and climb over. So let's just call it 15 foot just to erase everything, okay? So I say it's a 15 foot wall. There's no, you know, you're told to get over it. You can't do it alone. It's going to take a team. It's going to take people to come alongside you. And then the second thing we needed people to recognize is that they are not alone. They can't do it alone and they're not alone. For them to look around and see there's other people here. And man, it's a risk but I can lean on them. And so this is kind of what David is doing here in this song. is saying, hey, we face, we face nations greater than ours. We, we face captivities, calling to their history. We face circumstances that were insurmountable, whether he's calling back to the flood or he's maybe evoking even kind of the, 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 the waters being parted. He's saying, hey, we face nations greater than ours. We face in circumstances that we had no business surviving, and yet we were delivered. We were not delivered by ourselves. We didn't face it alone, but we were delivered by God himself, the mighty one. So he says, if it had not been for God, who was on our side, and then he says, hey, listen up, everyone. Everyone catch this. Stop what you're doing. And now don't just listen, but say it with me. This is what, so again, he's, he's wanting them to really inject. So I want us all to do that right now. Like, insert your life into this moment. If it was not God, if it was not for God that was on our side, if it was not for God that was on your side, you would have been overrun a long time ago. 
His grace is already over you. His common grace, his goodness is, is sustaining you and abiding you and, and, is, and is wanting you to come to his fullness of riches and grace. So right now, let us just sit here and say, if it was not for God that is on our side, it would have gone real bad. We would have lost it all. So why does it matter that we understand that God is the one who is with us and is the mighty one, that we're not alone, that we can't do it alone, that we're not alone, and that God is the one who is with us? Because here's the deal. All of our problems come when we forget that when we deny that. This is the root of the original sin in first creation. You see it in Adam and Eve that they were given everything. They were given everything and yet they said, we know better. We can do it better. We don't need this. And they set out to do it alone and it all fell apart. Sin and evil and death entered into creation and into our lives. So when we step outside of God's person, his character, his promise, his strength, his care, we find that destruction. So when we deny that he is the mighty one, we, what we say is that we are. We're the mighty ones, and that's when it all falls apart. And the irony is, is that when we step out of God's strength and care, we are stepping out of everything that we long for, everything that we want everything that we need. So hear this today and embrace it. I, I pray that you hear it is, is everything that it needs to, needs to be. Maybe a rebuke, maybe an invitation, maybe just a, a warm hug. I don't know. But hear this. You are not the mighty one. God is. Because here's the reality. Just as it was important to learn that we are that we are not alone, that we can't do it alone and we're not alone, we also have to see that we cannot be the mighty ones. We cannot be because God has that, that ground claimed. No one is greater than God. We also don't have to be the mighty ones. So there is your, your instruction as well as your invitation. You cannot be the mighty one. You never will be. So man, pray. let's pray that God humbles our hearts and loosens our hands and says, here we are, God. We need you. But also hear his loving invitation. You do not have to be. He did not leave it up to you for you to make it right. He did not leave it up to you for you to attain your redemption, your restoration, your wholeness, your belonging. He sent a Messiah, Jesus to do this for you. Remember what Zechariah said we looked at a few weeks ago when he was when when, Z, when Zerubbabel was faced with the insurmountable task of rebuilding the temple? He said, "Hey, not by not by your might, not by your strength, not by your plans, not by your wisdom, not by your effort, but by what? By what? Faith in the work of the spirit, right? But my by my spirit says the Lord. Jesus came to be the mighty one to work the glorious work of God in our lives. So when we think on who God is and what he's done in Christ, as I pondered this this week, I was just struck like, and kind of asked myself, like, how do I not live in this constant refrain of worship to our God? How, do, how am I not just constantly overtaken and find myself saying, God, if it weren't for you that was on my side, it all would have been lost. 
Like, how is it that I can go through my day, like, ignorant to that reality? How, do I, how, how, how is it that I, I, I kind of lose sight that Jesus is the mighty one and I am not? How, and so the question is, is, like, how do we learn to live in and rely on the power of God in Jesus Christ? So the first thing is this. First things first. It's already been alluded to today. Is to repent and believe. It is to be humbled and to say, I am not the mighty one. And to repent that we have believed and acted as if we are. Again, over and over again, humanity has done this. And over and over again, God has called them back and invited them in to repent and believe. I say we heard it today. I just realized we heard it downstairs from Maricela, one of our friends from Cuba. Uh, but she was talking about the importance of them coming to uh, the Cubans with that message. But this idea, this this an invitation and command to be humble, to repent and believe in, in faith how God has worked our redemption, and that is in Jesus Christ. To say Jesus is my Savior, he is my refuge, he is my strong one, I am not, and no one else or nothing else is. Jesus is the greatest show of God's love and power for us. So today, right now, if that's you for the first time, you can acknowledge that I am not the mighty one. God is. You can repent and believe, call on Christ, and you will be saved. You will know this. Did you see in Psalm 124.7, it says, it said that it set us free from the snare, right? So it's this picture of the, the, the bird in the snare on the ground and, and some benevolent, you know, forest walker comes along and sees it and says, like, oh, poor bird. And they, they release the bird from the snare, and the snare goes flying off. That's a beautiful picture in itself. But there's other snares in the woods that that bird can caught again. So then what does it say? It says, it doesn't just say that he got you out of the snare. He says, the snare is broken. The snare is broken. We were in the snare of sin and death. That was our plight. That was our position. That was all we had. And if it were not for God who was for us that intervened in Jesus, we would have stayed there. But in his love, he liberated us from the snare through faith in Jesus and the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And he, then he broke the bind. He broke even the possibility of being recaptured once again. He broke the snare. And he did that. He did that through the resurrection, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He defeated the power of sin, the penalty of sin in Jesus' death and resurrection. So the resurrection is the whole deal. It shows all of God's power. God has authority over life and death and is victorious in Jesus. And because of that victory, you have victory. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power that is promised to you. Jesus says in John 14, 19, because he lives, we also live. Here are Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. It says, and what is the, measure, the immeasurable greatness of his power? His power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power of God worked through Christ on the cross in his resurrection for you and me. Because if it were not for God who was on our side, all would have been lost. So we can surrender our lives to Jesus as the one who saves. 
We can't. Like, it's, it's a must. That's where we start. We have to come to that place of trusting in another other than ourselves and trusting only in the one who can save, and that is Jesus. But then it's still hard to continue to live in that reliance on the day-to-day. So how can we continue to grow and abide in that trust in God through Jesus Christ, experiencing his power, relying on his power. So just to close, I want to walk through some opportunities that we have on the daily to not just say that this is some kind of intellectual, emotional, spiritual ascent, which it certainly is all those things, but it's also there is an active opportunity for you and for me. And so first, after salvation, we also must be a people of his word. We need to be a people in his word, and that is the scriptures given to us by God. The word of God reveals who and how God is. As I was pondering this passage and I was, like, and I was asking myself this question, I was struck with just how important the word is because my circumstances don't play out quite often the way I think. And so when I see, and I do see God's faithfulness and his power proven in my life and over again, and I need to call on those and remember, but I have even more of a grand picture when I see the way he's worked in all of history. And, his, and the word of God shows the complete character of God. It shows the completion of the way in which he has never changed. God has always been a God of grace, a God that is a promise maker and a promise keeper, and he is one that has always been for his creation to know him and to be restored to him. He's always been that way. And so the word is so important for us to see that. Look at Psalm 105, 4 and 5. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. So please, journal, share stories of how God has worked in your life personally. Be in the word and see how God has never changed and he's always faithful and see all that he's done. So we have to be a people of the word if we want to continually rely on his power. Secondly, we need to cease trusting in our frail efforts. And first off, confession of Christ is your first step. Secondly, being in the word is going to help you because it's going to help you see, again, he is the strong and faithful one. And you'll see yourself and how we don't quite live up to that, but in him we do. So cease trusting in our frail efforts. There is such a liberty such a freedom, such a breath of fresh air to say, God, you are mighty, I am not. And in the joy, the joy to be able to say, I am not the mighty one, it's not up to me for you to love me, for you to accept me, for you to save me. Like it is me to just trust you in what you've done in Jesus. God's power is shown perfect in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the more you, resent, the more you surrender and confess and acknowledge that you are weak, the more you put yourself in a position to actually experience the power of God in Christ. It's not quid pro quo. It is humility and like just putting yourself in the right space, the right seat to observe. You see Oh, man, my hands are weak, but how in the heck did this happen? Hmm, close one. Lastly, second to last. So we have to surrender our lives to Christ. We've got to be a people in the word. We have to be a people that are humble and confessional, saying, God, we need you. And then that happens in the space of prayer, the environment of prayer. Prayer humbles our hearts. It ushers us into the presence of God. It inclines our wills to God. 
just as Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. It opens our hearts and minds to his power. It opens our lives to his love and his work in our lives. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, our minds need to be transformed. They need to be guarded. So you bring all this together, and this is the work of us being transformed and, and changed. If it weren't for God, who was, who was on our side, man, what would have happened? And it's not just that God will never leave or forsake us. That is certainly the most important part. When we say we are not alone and we don't have to do it alone, it is him that is our promise. But then in the daily, in our humanity, God has given us the gift of the body of Christ, the church. And you look at the heart of this psalm, what David says, he says he proclaims this great thing, but he needs the body of Christ. He knows that the body of Christ needs to come alongside, and he calls them to it. Hey, all of Israel, say it with me. He's calling them to this very place of humility, to where they would find peace and courage and understanding and strength, the strength of God. So it is important that we call each other to this. I don't know if you saw it before the service, we had these, this little Venn diagram of the, the way in which we pursue being disciples of Jesus together. That is, the, it was these gathered spaces where we gather on purpose around faith in Jesus as we are. It's also in the smaller expression, kind of in our home expressions of, of what we call transformation groups, but where we purposely come together in a more kind of personal and intimate way. And then it's also just through our personal relationships. So there's all these different layers, but they are all part of us sharing this journey. And that's why we do these things, is to provide space for three things. For the body of Christ to be used to reach the, those who don't know Jesus because we are called to claim the lostness in our geography. Secondly, it is about us, the body of Christ, being cared for and strengthened and equipped. So all of these things are a part of this. To rely on God's strength is also to be in a position to be used for his purpose in this world. Because why are we here? If it was just about salvation, we would confess and we'd be there. But he wants to use us to bring his work of redemption through Jesus to the world. And we do that best together. So as we proclaim, hey, God, if it weren't for you that we're on our side, we also should say, hey, guys, come along. See what he's done in my life. I want to hear what he's done in your life. And let's proclaim this together. Because in that space, we are strengthened. In that space, we're reminded. In that space, the truth prevails and not our emotions, not our circumstances. All those things that are real and matter, we get to submit those things to the truth of God that defines what is real. So we need each other, and that's why we pattern our lives after Acts 2.42, right? It's all of these things. We are to share the journey and call each other to the reality that God in Christ is the mighty one, not you or me. And Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Man, if it were not for God, if it were not for God who is for us, all would have been lost because our hope is in the God who says it in Psalm 124.8. He is above all. Because, and he is, has power over it all because he made it all and he loves it all and he saves it all through Jesus Christ. So for the remainder of this Advent season and beyond, let us reflect on what God has done, how God has shown and given his power through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, you are good. 
I'm humbled. Lord, I kind of, Lord, just, I pray that you would still our voices now so that we could hear yours. Still, Lord, our, our thoughts that are kind of racing and let us bring them all to you. Lord, I pray that our view of who you are and how you've worked in our midst, Lord, how you brought us into salvation and relationship with you through Jesus, how you've made you this holy, sovereign creator be above as far as we can think, God, Lord, you've also made yourself, Lord, here and noble and personal because Jesus has reconciled us. He's brought us back to you. So, Lord, if there's any here that need, Lord, salvation for the first time, I pray that you would bring them to that place of, of joyfully surrendering and saying, God, we need you. You are the mighty one who's worked in Christ. For those who in here who already know Christ and have surrendered their life, I pray that we would be reminded of this and called to this and that we would find ourselves interrupted in our days of just saying, if it were not for you who is on our side, all would have been lost. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.